welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Welcome, everyone. I'm here today with Tom Markham. Tom is a PBL pioneer and founder of PBL Global. He is an educator, author, school founder, global entrepreneur, and psychologist. Tom, you've been working in schools and consulting and with project-based learning for well over 20 years now. Why do schools come to you? What, what are the problems they're seeking to solve? Well, I think the problem they're seeking to solve is that their system is outdated. Number one, they know that. Second of all, they're not quite sure what to do about it. So the best solution has really been to really move towards more project-based learning and inquiry. And it's been sort of, in a a way, a safe way for schools to move because project-based learning is quite different, but it's not so radical that it takes you out of the normal environment. So I was quite fortunate, actually, to get into PBL early. Uh, It was a way to talk about change in schools, but I was also welcome in schools. So as you mentioned, I was early. I've been early on in the game. I've been, I've been to 400 schools. I've worked with about 6,000 teachers. So that's a lot of experience. And early on, people didn't know much about PBL and they just wanted to find out about it because they were groping towards some sort of vision to change. Now, that vision is much more established now than it was 10 years ago. And people have a clear sense of PBL, but it definitely was the sense, almost the intuition that what we're doing is really not adequate particularly since the outside world was changing so rapidly. We really have a, we still do have a mismatch between what society is looking for in terms of qualities from people and what we're producing as graduates. So we're trying to close that gap and PBL is a way to do that. You talk a little bit more about that. How does PBL help to close that gap? How does it help to build the skills that students need for the future? Well, I'd say uh, two ways that come to mind. Uh, First of all, it does focus on the process of learning and not so much the end result, testing, standardization, so forth. It does focus on the process of problem solving. And in that process of problem solving, it really, if the project is well designed, it really challenges students to bring their personal strengths to the process of learning, their curiosity, their persistence, their collaboration skills, their critical thinking. All those kinds of skills that have been there but are now more explicitly rewarded in the workplace because that's what employers are looking for. So if you look at requirements for employment these days, almost always the first thing is team player. Well, PBL teaches you to be a team player. It teaches you to go beyond, hopefully, even the notion of group work into learning to work as an accountable team member. So that really brings us to the second reason that I think PBL is popular because actually it's a career builder. It's it's a way to, it replicates the way we learn in general in life. I'll say more about that in a moment, but it also really fits with the way work is done in teams, on projects, solving problems, asking questions, designing solutions, and coming up with some sort of product or end result that has some applicability. And that's really what project-based learning does. So I often say to teachers, you're actually doing career ed when you're doing PBL because you're building career strengths. So that's really good. And then the third piece, which we can talk about a little bit, is I 
I definitely view project-based learning as not an academic strategy or even an academic method. It's really a human development method. So by that, what I mean is the way we approach problems in life, regardless of who we are or where we are, it's always because we meet some sort of challenge. Maybe that's when you're four years old and you're trying to figure out how to tie your shoes. You come up with a solution. Maybe you're taught how to do it. Maybe you watch your older brother or sister (laughs) how to tie their shoes, and then you tie your shoes. So that challenge, solution, questioning, help, sharing, that's really what project-based learning is in a nutshell. I often say it's actually a very simple process. You're setting up a challenge and a question. Students or learners are going through that process to try to answer the question or solve the problem. And at the end, they're kind of saying, this is what we did. What do you think? It's that simple. So it really does replicate the way we learn as people. And that's always been important to me because I I felt when I came into education, which was in the early 90s as a teacher, that we had one system for life and one system for academics, and the two were really mismatched. So project-based learning, to me, is quite elegant in the sense that it replicates the way we learn in life, but in an academic environment. I think that's one of the strengths of PBL. People don't talk about that too much, but that is really one of the core strengths of project-based learning. Yeah, I agree. And it's something we talk a lot about from an elementary level is how we bring in the social emotional learning into project-based learning and how as kids are learning to collaborate, how they're also understanding how they're feeling through that process and identifying their emotions and identifying how the things that they're saying and the ways they're working with the group is making other kids feel and how their reactions to that. So paying attention to that group dynamic Mm-hmm. Um, and then into human development, which I'd love to hear more if you have an example of projects, you know, especially from the viewpoint of a psychologist, you know, looking at the career development aspect and the human development aspect of project-based learning, especially as students get older. Well, any good project really relies on collaboration in some form. Now, that could be some formal teams of students. It can also be what I call a cohort method where students are doing their own individual projects, but they are moving through that experience, working with each other to get feedback on the quality of the work they're doing. A cohort, which is familiar to anybody who mm-hmm. like goes to online, gets an online degree or something. And mm-hmm. so I think building that kind of collaboration in is really fundamental to PBL. Now, if you actually dig down into collaboration, it's, it's a big word that covers a lot of skills and strengths that you need to bring to the table to be an effective teammate or an effective collaborator. Uh, it starts with accountability. Are you doing your share? Are you pulling your weight? It adds in good listening, good observation of your teammates, empathy. All the social-emotional skills that you need in life are actually learned through a social environment. You create a social environment through projects. And The teacher or the PBL facilitator has the opportunity at any place point in that process to highlight that or pull it out or have students reflect on that. This merger of social emotional learning and project-based learning, which I see as sort of inevitable, we still treat social emotional learning as, to me, sort of a separate learning activity, almost like We would teach photosynthesis or parts of a cell or the history of the Civil War. Really, to me, you learn through doing, and project-based learning is a perfect 
learning process in which you are learning and sort of testing yourself on a lot of social emotional skills. The collaboration and communication pieces really form the foundation for great projects. Their students are working in a very social environment. Oftentimes, they're working in a formal team environment. And when you do that, you are really sort of engaging as a social person, if you will, which sounds sort of obvious. And as you do that, you are working on your communication, your listening skills, your empathy skills, your observation skills, your acceptance skills. You're working on your accountability to your teammates. Lots and lots of social-emotional aspects are part of that PBL experience. And in the hands of a good PBL teacher slash facilitator, they sort of recognize that that's going on and steer those projects or steer that learning in the direction that might be useful at the time. So, for example, I often tell PBL teachers early on when your projects are starting in, let's say, first semester or the first quarter, particularly your first projects, really focus on getting those teams to work well together and really focus on specific skills like listening skills, conflict resolution. Do a lot of checking in with your teams so that you begin to really help the kids sort of work together. And this obviously works a little bit differently at the secondary versus the elementary level. But at the elementary level, I've seen great grade three, four, and five projects in which the teacher really is working on, let's say, empathy. They're really working on listening and they're working on social emotional skills, but they are in the context of a project-based learning experience. And that's what I really like about PBL. And I think it provides, as I said, sort of an elegant solution to enfolding social emotional learning in the way we do academics rather than making it sort of a separate topic. So that's how I see those two coming together. I think we learned a similar thing by trial and error as we started out with a separate social emotional class and it was a separate thing. And it was, you know, Fridays at 11, we had a teacher come in and do an hour on that learning, which is a nice idea, but we found it didn't, it didn't trickle down through the culture of the school, through everything that we were doing. And so we found by doing more professional development and training with our educators and having them lead those pieces as a part of project-based learning, as a part of community time, you know, and as a part of just their regular classroom, that we got a lot more, our students saw a lot more growth and a lot more understanding of that. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised you found that. I, that, to me, is, is a good learning for us as educators, that you can't really isolate social-emotional learning as a specific skill. So let's say we're interested in empathy, you know, how we treat and how open we are towards others. That really comes through conversation experience and the doing part. And that's what PBL is really good at rather than having it be a separate curriculum. You know, in our system and the way we think that's now embedded in our minds, everything has to have a separate curriculum and a separate set of objectives. So you got empathy 1.1, empathy 1.2, but PBL is much more organic. It's much more personal. And in great project-based learning classrooms, there is a sense of students working together, not always harmoniously, because 30 kids aren't going to do that, 30 anybody's aren't going to do that, but teaching them to get along, to work together, and that's where your social emotional growth comes. Now, that's sort of the, I would say, the easy part of it. We also know that in our very neurodiverse society that we're in now, we're getting lots of kids 
And no matter how well you, a teacher might set up the project, there are, you know, you're working with very different kinds of personalities and young people. And so not all of this is always going to work. I'm certainly in my, myself have been, I've had projects in my classrooms where there's some, some kids just won't fit into that. Now, at that point, as a teacher, you can feel resentful for that because they're slowing down your program or the better way as a great PBL facilitator is to accept those differences and try to work that out because PBL is also a very personalized form of instruction. Even though they might work through groups, you're looking at each different kinds of student that you have. You're looking at students individually because each of them is on a different part of that learning curve and they fit into that project differently. And they're each taking something different from that project, if you will, and that environment. So it's a very personalized way of doing instruction. And people often ask me, teachers will ask me, well, how does PBL fit with personalized learning? Because there's this tendency to think it's a, just a group thing. It is, but in our world, it's sort of the both and world. It's group and it's personal at the same time. And this actually points to some of the challenges of becoming a great PBL facilitator because operating in that both end environment can be difficult. It's a challenge for teachers, a very complex skill set to be a good PBL facilitator and teacher. Lots and lots of things to learn and master and, and to go on. I was in a conversation yesterday with someone who said, well, in PBL, do we do it that way or do we do it this way? And I thought to myself, and I replied, I said, you know, there's usually no this way or that way. There's only the way in the moment. And that's a lot of what a PBL teacher is faced with is constantly taking the pulse of that process and then trying to respond in the best way possible at the moment. Yeah, that that leads into really kind of what I was thinking of is, you know, as you're looking at being a facilitator of learning, you know, how do you work with teachers and how do you, you know, what are the most important aspects of training and education and professional development for teachers to take that leap into, you know, what you said earlier, it's it's kind of a safe leap in pedagogy from traditional learning to project-based learning. But it does require a shift in skill set and a shift in mindset and culture of the classroom. So how do you help teachers, you know, work through that? The first thing I do is I tell them I can never train you to do PBL. You cannot be trained. Uh, we train monkeys. We don't train people. But in our industrial system, we do train people because the outcomes are standardized. And so you can train a teacher to say, I'm going to ask three bell, ring, bell ringing questions at the beginning of class. And that's what they do. But in PBL, it's not so cut and dried, as I said. And really, you don't, it's a complex skill set you don't train for so much as you start teachers on a journey wherever they're starting. Now, in my own work, I might work with teachers who know very little bit about PBL, or I might work with teachers who think they're doing PBL, they're doing projects, sometimes quite interesting, but it's not quite PBL. Or in fewer cases, I might be working with teachers who are actually skilled. PBL people. Now, in all those cases, there's room for growth because if you're just starting out, the first thing I say is you need a knowledge base. You need to know what best practices in PBL are because the best practices in PBL are what distinguishes project-based learning from just projects as we think about projects. Having a really solid, wicked problem to solve, the driving question. Working with teams that are not just loosely formed groups where you say to kids, all right, Go, about, go, go over to a corner and talk about something for 20 minutes. You really have a much more organized set of what it means to work in a team. 
a design process and more and more design thinking is coming to be part of the PBL process. You're designing, drafting, thinking, critiquing, and moving towards getting a solid product at the end. So you build those best practices and that really, that's a knowledge base that you need to do. And I used to teach that kind of thing when I was doing workshops, but I have actually switched over the years. Now I put everything online. It's all free. People can go and get as much PBL knowledge as they want through PBL Global free and just get that knowledge base because I've come to realize that the knowledge is only the first step. The next step is really conversation about your projects. The next step is coaching, but coaching in a very respectful way. Like, how does this work for you in your math class with your eights in Australia? You know, what does that mean? Everybody's got a unique situation that only that uniqueness can only be addressed through a pretty deep, respectful conversation or with teachers about how your this project is going to be shaped. So it is, as I said, a complex skill set. And what we know about complex skill sets in the world. There's been a lot of research on this because companies are now faced with having to train people to do very complex work. And they've had to figure out what that means. They have abandoned the word training as well to some extent because they realize that this is sort of an organic process where people try the experience, they share with colleagues, they take their knowledge, they put it into practice, they see how it works, they come back, they improve, they iterate, and so forth. And that to me, is the only way that you actually get to skilled, a skilled level of facilitation. It's really a journey. So I, that's the way I approach it, not as, and definitely not a one-off. Oh, come in. I used to get plenty of requests, and I've done plenty of them, believe me, where you come in for two days to a school and do a, a two six-hour workshops, an hour off for lunch, and at the end, you're done. And a lot of schools at that point, I think still, but a lot of it used to happen. Okay, I can check that off. I've trained my teachers in PBL. Well, that's the last thing they've done. All they've done is sort of dipped a toe into the water. So it's a big transformation. And it's why PBL has taken a while to get established. It's, it's why there's so much conversation about how does it work? Is it working? What do we do? I mean, this shift from a front of the room industrial system where we're standardizing the delivery of standardized information to kids, to this whole other paradigm, if you will, of inquiry, questioning, problem solving, posing challenges to students, offering them information in a just-in-time way, and measuring their accomplishments in terms of strengths and product and delivery and behaviors rather than just what they're doing. I mean, this is a huge shift. It's bigger than we think it is. And that's the reason that PBL has taken a while and is taking a while and will take a while to actually take root. Yeah, I think you explained that really, really well. Um, And it circles back to something you said earlier when we were talking about, you know, career readiness and using PBL for career readiness, and then looking at the workforce and how They're looking at a problem and trying a solution and doing some research and seeing how it works and spending some time doing it and then tweaking it. That's what we do in projects. That's what we do. One of our graduate standards, we call it scientific mind, but it's that cycle. And that's what we kids are learning in projects. And that creates that career readiness for when they go into a company. And now companies are having to do that with employees because they didn't get it in school. It's an interesting circle. (laughs) Yes, it's... um... It's an interesting circle. It also drives me just a little bit 
crazy sometimes because companies are basically fluid, dynamic ecosystems these days where employees are trying to figure out what they're doing, making decisions, being agile, changing direction, you know, working together. It's, it's a very fluid, dynamic situation in the corporate world these days. And still, and I hope, I think this is changing, and I certainly hope it is, still companies support the old form of learning education. They still don't recognize that we can have a form of education that would prepare young people to enter the workforce seamlessly and save companies a whole lot of money in terms of their HR budget. Really could do that. And hopefully companies are starting to get that message and understand that. I mean, and things are changing, but a few years back, companies were still donating to schools as usual, expecting that to have the payoff they wanted. Didn't happen. It won't happen. Yeah, we're, I think we're seeing it with more innovative companies, definitely, as they're looking for different entrance requirements. It's not necessarily the BA anymore. It's, you know, what else yeah, have mean, you I, done I, I, and I mean, where I have see, you been? And Exactly. I mean, I see, I, I love the fact that Google has abandoned college degrees as a requirement for applying for a job for Google, because all the research showed that a college degree made no difference in terms of their actual performance on the job. So that's a, that's a real sign of changing times. Also, the UC system not requiring SATs anymore. But we see a lots of signs that the, the system is breaking down the old rules. And I think allowing a lot more diversity in terms of young people being able to, first of all, display their talents and find a different way to liberate their talents through their own learning paths. So it's like, uh, you know, a thousand flowers bloom, hundred flowers bloom. It's, it's good. It's uh, I think that's exactly what we need. Let's shift a little bit and talk about your next path and what you're doing. I know you're we're working on a new project called Voices of a Learning World. Tell us a little bit about what that's about and what the vision is. Well, it's uh, it's not something that has gone quite the way I thought it was, but it never does. Was, <laughs> it never <laughs> does right? Now, as I was traveling, um, and I was doing a lot of work in Australia, I was doing work in China, some work in the Middle East. And as I traveled around doing PBL, I realized that all teachers, regardless of where they were, who were thinking about education, not all teachers think that deeply about education, but those who were wondering about where things were going, all had the same wonders, and they all had basically the same kind of solution. They all realized we need to move towards skills, strengths, rather than just uh, retaining knowledge for a test. 100% agreement on that. And I realized that there was a global conversation going on that was actually unreported, unreported by the media. They they hadn't caught up to this. So particularly here in the States, a lot of teachers don't know what's happening in other countries, and they just don't know. It's kind of a a little bit inbred. But in fact, there's lots of ferment going on in, in all countries about education and lots of great ideas. So I thought, well, maybe it's time to bring this together. So I had about 20 colleagues who had been involved in project-based learning and inquiry from China, uh, Hong Kong, Beijing, Denmark, Australia, Mexico, just all over. So I brought them together, sort of fostered this conversation of what I call Voices for a Learning World with the idea that maybe we were ready just to explode on this whole notion and have people say, well, what do they want to learn in the world? Because the whole standardized curriculum can't contain our world anymore. It just can't contain it. And so that was the idea. Well, that didn't quite work out the way I thought, but what did work out 
is that now this network of 20 folks, they all know each other now. They never did before. They're all working together. And so it has come. There is now what I would call a real global coalition of really great PBL practitioners who are, they both have both depth and breadth in terms of learning. Very, very accomplished people, great visions working with each other and working with schools. So now got folks working in LA with uh, Australia, working with the Hong Kong folks. Uh, so uh, you and I were talking a little bit before the interview about how Zoom has been such a great network builder. Well, that's for me, that, that global network of PBL is now a reality. It's happening. And there is exchange and conversation going on in ways that there wasn't about 15 months ago. So that's how the Voices of the Learning World has evolved. Now, in terms of my own projects, I think that the hybrid and virtual environment that's come has not resulted in learning loss so much as learning gains. And the only learning loss is really because you might have loss of learning as measured by a standardized test. But if you're looking at learning as measured by passion, purpose, engagement, involvement, and meaning, I think we've had learning gains. And so I'm anxious to see how that's going to take learning beyond the walls of school and how that's going to evolve into schools as learning centers, but where a lot of the learning is done virtually or independently. And as you and I were talking, that probably looks much different at the elementary level than it does at the secondary level. And I understand, (laughs) I'm laughing because I was reminded of talking to some kindergarten teachers the other day who brought their kids back from the hybrid environment uh, for the first day at school. And it was crazy for them. I mean, because the kindergartners, all they want to do is touch each other and hug each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're supposed to stay six feet apart. That's not working. So it was, it was, uh, it was a funny event. We were all laughing about it. How what a challenge that was for the kindergarten teachers. But I do understand that early on, elementary requires that sort of close knit warmth, if you will. That's really part of what you're trying to do. However, I would also say very interesting from my standpoint, what we've learned about online project-based work or online work in general is that it does not work without a relationship. So all this past year, I've been following comments on, let's say, Facebook from uh, the distance learning group, and half of them are complaints about their kids. Well, they don't show up. They disappeared. I haven't talked to them in six months. They turn off their screens. They mute themselves. At the same time, there's distance educators. I've talked with many of them who are reporting the highest levels of engagement they've ever had. Kids are just showing up and they're there and they love it. And what's the difference? Relationship. What this mm-hmm. pandemic and virtual environment exposed is that a lot of American teachers do not have great relationships with their students at the secondary level. They're just content providers. And if you don't have that relationship and then you try to say, okay, all right, guys, we're going to go online. We're going to learn quadratic formulas for the next two weeks. Send me your homework then. It doesn't work. Well. Yeah, it doesn't work too well. You know, you have to. Have, so I think one of our learnings and learnings ahead of us is how we recreate virtually and digitally that sense of connection and care and relationship that will be essential to do online learning well. Students need to feel, anybody needs to feel like somebody's caring about them, even if they're on a screen. Yeah, it's a good reminder. It's something we talk a lot about in elementary school is building that relationship. And 
you know, as you move into middle school and high school, we've siloed the subjects so much that they have a different teacher every hour. And so it's it's difficult to build those relationships. Yeah, it's difficult. And frankly, it's not going to work over time. Yeah. How, how do we restructure it's not that? Working. It's not working. <laughs> uh, what we know from a psychological perspective, it's it's about as clear as it could possibly be that you perform well when you feel cared for. That's just kind of basic fundamental human impulse. Mm-hmm. And so that's, if we can't get that right, we're, I mean, our secondary system will slow down because students will find other ways. So that's, that's a, it's a big learning, I think, that's coming out of this. Yeah, that's huge. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for your time. How can people get in touch with you if they'd like to learn more or work with you? Uh, well, Tom, and I spell it with an H, T-H-O-M at pblglobal.com. Just email me. I'm very open, receptive. I'll answer questions. I'll steer you where I can. People come all the time. I just got a, this morning before I went on this interview, I just opened up an email and I had a, a guy from Algeria says, we're starting a PBL school. Can you help? What do we do? <laughs> so amazing. You know, kind of I love to respond to that and, and help. And uh, I do have these online courses, which I really recommend because no charge, three courses, the practitioner course, that's how to design a project, the facilitator course, how to actually facilitate and coach. And the third one is the change maker, which is how to do online projects and passion projects. That's a, what I call the PBL Global School. And it is all the fundamentals of PBL for any teacher. And it works for elementary and secondary. Tons of resources, lots of videos that I've curated you can look at. And it's a great resource. And again, it's worldwide for teachers anywhere. So I I get a lot of teachers from Pakistan, some from China, Algeria. (laughs) So, yeah, so that's available for people. Awesome. Thank you so much, Tom. Thanks for your time. I really appreciate chatting with you. I really appreciate the invitation. Good luck on the school. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Bye now. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com, where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.